Well, today, because it is Super Bowl Sunday, we're leaning into a great category or theme for this Sunday, and that is the title of the message this morning is Part of the Team. You're part of the team. Turn to the person next to you, give an elbow and say, hey, you're part of the team, the team, the most important team to be a part of. And what we're gonna talk about is how we've been invited to be on God's team. Now that may sound superficial or may sound, you know, a little immature, but it's really important for us to understand what this defines in our life. And I love team competition. I mean, today is all about one of the most popular sports here in our country that we get to celebrate two teams going at it and teams competing for guys that's been their dream their entire life to play in the Super Bowl and hoist the Lombardi Trophy after they win. And there's gonna be excitement and heartache, all of the above. We love witnessing that. I know for us who are big Bucks fans, it's a little time of mourning. And I'm glad we prayed against depression this morning because it is a time where we wish we were there and we're wondering about what's gonna happen next season. But it's exciting, we love to be a part of it. We go to social parties and hang out and watch the game, or maybe you don't really care and you're going to sleep early. It's still happening, right? Another thing that's happening right now that's super exciting is it's the season of the Winter Olympics. And when a team is doing well, when our team is doing well, it's amazing how much we focus on it a little more. I don't know if you follow along with the Winter Olympics, but there's a specific sport I follow pretty closely now. Because at the last Winter Olympics, I don't know if you know this, but the United States men's team won the gold in curling. I mean, come on, that's exciting. If you don't know what curling is, it's when they throw that little, like, tea kettle down the ice. And, like, there's no reason that we should be good at that. But we won. And so I've been following it along. You know, there's the guys, are, they're winning, they're losing. But, hey, well, I'm pushing for them to keep going because they just look like Americans who would play curling as well, which is what I love about it as, as well. And so today we get to lean into that. We get to celebrate that. But a bigger than all of that is the team that we were created to be on in the eyes of our Heavenly Father God. The team's what we get to do week in and week out to make a difference in this world that not only lasts while we're here on earth, but lasts for eternity. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the Apostle Paul is writing this to the city of Ephesus, to the church there, and his main goal is to keep them together and united and reminded who they are. So Ephesians 2.10, he says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, I love this verse because I tell everybody, hey, God created you as a masterpiece, right? Like if God had a Louvre museum up in heaven, everybody's there because he's created us as his sons and daughters. He put effort into it and inspiration and purpose into it. We are his masterpiece. But as I was reading this verse and preparing for today's message, something stuck out to me that I had never really noticed before. For so long, I read this verse and realized, yes, God, I am your masterpiece. Isn't that great? It encourages me and brings me strength. But that is limiting what this verse is actually saying. It's downplaying what actually Paul, the apostle, is trying to convey to the church in Ephesus at that time and today to us as the capital C church, that we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us. It says a lot of we and a lot of us in there, not a lot of me's and I's. So for us, it's to realize that we are 
better together. We are better as a team moving forward and making a difference in people's lives. We are better coming together, united under one purpose, under one cause, helping people know the good news of Jesus, that there is a God who loves them, who is not far away. There is a hope that has a name, and that name is Jesus. And if you believe that today, give me a good amen, because that is the team that we're on. We are God's masterpiece. I want to give you two things as we jump into the heart of the message to kind of guide us into the conversation today. And the first thing is to write down this, that our team supports our dream. All of us have dreams in our hearts. All of us have dreams in our lives. And the first thing I would love to encourage you with is that the dream that's in your heart is not dead. God wants to breathe life into it. God wants to help you see that a horizon is coming where something new is going to happen. And that dream can be lived out that dream to make a difference or inspire or create. But the thing is, who we align ourselves always affects where our dream is going. See, are, are the teams that we're on, the team that we identify with can support our dream or it can distort our dream, where it gets fuzzy and confusing. I want you to know that you have a part of the team of what Jesus is doing here on this earth. And that will affect eternity forever. And there's nothing better than that because it's centered around who you are. It's centered around the identity that God's given you. It's centered around the purpose that you and I have in our lives. And I want you to know that we can't do this life alone. Just like Paige was saying earlier, a lot of us have walked through isolation and loneliness through COVID and even continuation maybe through fear and separation. But today I want you to understand is that we are always strongest working together. We are always stronger when we are locked arms saying, hey, we're not in this alone. We're in this together. I want you to know today that if you feel alone, if you feel like you don't have community, if you feel like you don't have friends, well, today you're here in this place and I wanna promise you, you have a community around you who wants to welcome you and bring you into this life-giving relationship and friendship and team so you can see who you are, why you were created, and that there is a God who breathed life into you when you first took that first breath and he has purpose that he's designed you for. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. You have purpose and together we get to realize that for we are always stronger when we're looking out for each other and looking out for one another because we are part of God's team together everyone achieves more a little acronym for you to use at some point together everyone achieves more and that's true for God's house as well what we do on Sundays is because a team makes it happen sets up the sound hangs curtains so the room feels excited, parks cars, makes coffee, takes pictures, watches our kids. It's a team effort. There's nothing more valuable than that. As we step into this message, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Let's lean into what God's gonna share with us this morning. Father, I'm so thankful for everyone here. I'm so thankful that we can confidently say that you've chosen us out of the crowd to be a part of your team. And God, today we simply listen and we lean in and we open our hearts to what you have to say. God, we thank you that you love us, that you've made a way for us to have a relationship with you because of your son, Jesus. God, I pray for those in here who may feel like they don't belong or feel like they have doubts. And I pray that you would simply speak to them, hey, I'm so glad you're here and I love you and I care for you and I care about you. God, be with all of our kids and our team next door for local city kids. Help everybody, whatever age they are, understand that Jesus is for them and he is their very best friend. And even at a young age, they would fall in love with you and fall in love with being here at your house, your church. We love you, God. We thank you, and we're excited for the message today. In Jesus' name, we all say, give me a good amen, and let's jump right into it today. 
I think we've been trained from the very beginning of our life to understand how it feels to either be picked or not be picked. I remember early on in middle school, I mean, I, every, I think all of us probably went through this or need to go through this to toughen us up a little bit, but I remember just like you would see in movies or TV shows, stand, standing along the wall at gym class, whether you were playing football or kickball or dodgeball, whatever sport it was, and of course the two best athletes in the class would be the captains and they'd have to go down the line and pick who they wanted on their team. And I always remember, you know, I, I, I kind of knew who God was, didn't have a very strong relationship with him in sixth grade, but this was the time when I was really praying, praying, God, please don't let me be picked last. And at that time, God was really trying to build my character, I guess, and build my stability. I would always get picked last. And it'd always be, you'd always see it on the captain's face, like, all right, I guess I'll take this guy. But some good things happened in the summer between sixth and seventh grade. I guess I went through a little bit more of puberty, got a lot faster, a lot stronger. My voice was always this deep, but I guess the rest of my body needed to catch up. And I, then I started getting picked like in the middle of the crowd and got better. And then I was getting picked like first in eighth grade. I was like, Lord, see, it just takes time for you to answer prayer. I'm glad I still kept going. But we understand what it, mean, what it feels like, maybe not for a sports team, but maybe for a job or a relationship to be looked over to be forgotten, to be the last one that feels like they get a chance to belong in what we're doing. Well, I want you to know today, God's chosen you. God's, it says in scripture that God chose us before the foundation of the world to understand that we are his sons, we are his daughters. We have a place in his family. We have an opportunity to have a relationship with him. It was so important for God to restore that and redeem that, that he sent his one and only son to give his life for you and me so that we could be forgiven and set free and know that there is a God in our life who is alive, who is with us today. So every time we pray in Jesus' name on a Sunday morning, I want you to know God hears those prayers because Jesus takes them right to the heart of his Father. Jesus takes them right to God's power and strength and begins to move in ways that we never thought possible. See, one of the guys that Jesus chose, Jesus knew that teamwork was important. Jesus knew that aligning yourselves with the right people, and he knew that purpose was so important in our life and how people could realize that, just what they could accomplish, that he surrounded himself with 12 guys known as the disciples. And one of those guys was Peter. We talked about him a little last week, how Peter was someone who was, who was never picked, who was overlooked, who was not good enough to be in esteemed levels and platforms of culture at that day. But Jesus looked at him and said, hey, if you'll come follow me, we'll change the world. And Peter followed Jesus for three years, did some miraculous things, did some pretty stupid things. Makes me feel good about myself because I'm like, okay, even if I do stupid things, I still have a place in following Jesus. Even when I make mistakes, Peter went so far as to deny Jesus essentially to his face. And Jesus still forgave him and brought him back into the fold to make a difference and build what we are experiencing today, the church. Peter became one of the leaders of the early church. Peter steps up one day and says, hey, Jesus has given his life for you. He has conquered death. He is alive today. And if you want a relationship with him, all you gotta do is invite him into your life and be a part of what we're doing. And 5,000 people that day were saved and gave their life to Jesus. Pretty amazing transformation, pretty amazing journey. And it started with being on the right team and understanding that Jesus had chosen him from the crowd to be a part of what he was doing. And Peter reminds the followers of Jesus years later this truth. See, Peter writes a couple books 
to the scattered Christians at that time because they were being persecuted. They were giving their lives. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, here's what he reminds them and reminds us today, that you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him. I love this part. To tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. From nothing to something. From rejected to accepted. Turn to the person next to you, tell them, hey, once you were nothing, now you're something. Once you were nothing, now you're something. Turn to the person you ignored the first time and tell them, hey, you're not rejected, you're accepted. I want you to know, local city church, local city online, you are not nothing, you are something because God says so. You are not rejected, you are accepted into the family of God because of the sacrifice that Jesus made to choose you as God's holy people, to choose to forgive you and free you. All it takes is for us to say, I surrender to that, I say yes to that because where else am I gonna go? I was nothing and rejected, now I'm something and accepted, there's nothing better than that. If you're standing on that promise today. Come on, give me a good amen, and let's keep going this morning. See, team is important. Here's the definition of what team means. Team is a very important understanding of our identity and how God created us. It means a stable, bound group of individuals interdependent in achieving a shared goal. See, we can't do what God has called us to do alone. If Jesus surrounded himself with people to help him Proclaim the message of what God was doing, it's probably important that we do the same thing. One of my favorite moments in scripture is, as we're gonna talk about in just a second, is when Jesus allowed the disciples to go and perform miracles and teach with the authority that God had given him about the love that God was showing the world, about what exactly Jesus was doing building God's kingdom here on earth. And see, we don't have to second guess whether or not this is true. But I will tell you, we do have an enemy. Like any team, we do have a rival, right? We have a rival that is always trying to to seek out and destroy us and lie to us. As we mentioned last week, the reason relationship is so important and life-giving community is so important is because when God created the world, when God created Adam and Eve, the first problem wasn't sin. The first problem was loneliness. God says it's not good for man to be alone. Say, you might be a very talented individual. You might be able to accomplish a lot by yourself, but God has not created you to live on an island. God has not created you to just fight for your own desires and your own successes. Even though that may lead to good things, it won't lead to God things. See, God has placed us in a team. He's placed us in community. He's placed us with a shared goal. And the enemy, Satan, tried to destroy that from day one. See, when Adam and Eve come together, God creates Adam and he creates Eve and they come together as one. The first thing the enemy begins to do is lie to them about why they were there. Let's put ourselves in context of who Adam and Eve were. They were the first man, first woman created by God. They were placed in paradise called the Garden of Eden and they would freely walk that garden with God. And they were given a couple responsibilities and they were also given one restriction, which that is a healthy life, to have responsibility and restriction. It's why when you go down the interstate, there's big dividing concrete lines because God forbid you fall asleep or get distracted on your phone. I know no one in this room uses their phone or text while they're driving, but just in case you ever do, those concrete things are there as restrictions to keep you safe. And so God gave them responsibility. He told Adam, hey, you are here to tend and care for this garden. You're supposed to name all these animals and species and you're supposed to care for your wife, Eve, as well. 
And then they also had restrictions. The one restriction was they could do anything they wanted, but the one restriction was do not eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the enemy comes into this situation, and he comes to Eve by herself, already Adam, missing out on what his responsibility was as the husband and team in that aspect. And he, the enemy begins to lie to Eve and tell her that, hey, God doesn't want you to be like him. That's why you're not supposed to eat of that tree. He pretty much tempts Eve with knowledge. Isn't it funny how one of the things that destroys us from the inside out or distracts us a lot of times is because we want to know everything. We want to know what's coming tomorrow. We want to know why this happened. We want to know what God's doing. It's that's the exact thing the enemy will use to tempt you that will distort the fact that God's already done everything he ever needs to do for you, and so we just trust him today. God had already created paradise for them. He had already given them life and responsibility. But enemy, the enemy tricked them into saying, hey, no, 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 you, the reason your goal isn't just to spend time with God, it's to know everything and be like God, which is not the case. And from there, they made, it, made a choice, and we are still living the repercussions of that choice as we deal with sin and we deal with breaking God's law. But thank God we live on the other side of Jesus where we can be forgiven and set free. Thank God and our Heavenly Father that we live on the other side of Jesus conquering death and walking out of that grave alive so that we can know we don't have to come to a priest or to a building to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father God or a friendship with Jesus. We simply say, God, I want you, I need you, come into my life, and it happens in that instance, and every day we grow and take steps deeper and deeper into our faith journey. But here's the thing, though. How can we align ourselves and be unified as a team? Is when we have the right enemy and we have the right mission, we see revival in our city. I'm going to break down these three words. So enemy, I want you to know, you are not my enemy. The person sitting next to you is not your enemy. The person at another church today is not your enemy. People are not your enemy. The Bible tells us that we do not wrestle or fight against flesh and blood, meaning humans are not our enemy. What we fight against is the spiritual powers of darkness and evil that are trying to destroy people's life. So listen, I don't hate people. I don't believe people are my enemy. The devil's my enemy because he's trying to destroy me and destroy other people. And I know that my mission is to give them the good news that yes, the enemy may sometimes have power in your life, but he does not have authority. You can speak the name of Jesus in a moment and those things can be defeated. You can find freedom and you can walk the path to healing because what is our mission? Jesus said it when he left this earth. He said, hey, now go and make disciples. Help people follow the way of Jesus. Help people know this good news. Our mission is not to just achieve earthly things. It's to impact eternity by bringing people into relationship with Jesus so that they can see that we've been moved from nothing to something, rejected to accepted, and that can happen for them too. Our mission is to let people know, if God did it for me, he can do it for you. I didn't deserve it, but God did it anyway. I know I feel like God may feel far away, but he's right here, right now, in this room and he wants you to know how much he loves you and cares for you. That is a mission worth dying for. That is a mission worth living for because that leads to revival. Now, if you grew up in church, revival means maybe like a little spooky, weird stuff that goes on, but that's not what revival is. The definition of revival is this. It's gonna be up on the screen. The awakening or quickening of God's people to, I love these few phrases, to their true nature and purpose in Jesus. Revival is simply a lot of people reminding themselves or being informed that they have a true nature that God gave them, and they have purpose in Jesus, and that comes when we have the right enemy. 
That's why I don't get mad and I don't engage in political discourse on social media. It's why we do whatever it takes to realize that God welcomes everybody into his house and into his community because people are not my enemy. I disagree does not mean I hate you. If you look different than me or vote different than me, that doesn't mean we can't be friends and talk because you are not my enemy. You are a part of God's family and I want you to know that. You have the opportunity to be in relationship with Jesus and I want you to know that. I am not going to sacrifice Jesus' influence here on this world for the sake of some sort of gain that doesn't matter anyway in the scope of eternity. We have the right enemy, we're on the right mission, so we're gonna see revival in our city. We're going to see Jesus do some amazing things in people's lives. Here's how. In Luke chapter 10, verse one through three, here's what it says. It says, the Lord, meaning Jesus, now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. And these were his instructions. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go, I love this last line. Now go and remember, I'm sending you out as lambs among the wolves. Now this is an important words of Jesus to lean into. Number one, he sends the disciples out in pairs. He says, hey, you can't do this alone, so go together. It's gonna be difficult. I would love to stand up here and tell you that when you give your life to Jesus, it is all balloons and cotton candy and rainbows when you leave. But it's not that at all. In some sense, it's more difficult because you begin to understand the responsibility you have as a son and daughter of God and also the restrictions that he's given you. And sometimes that leads to difficulty. Sometimes that leads to difficult situations or hard days. When you surrender your life to Jesus, the enemy then puts a target on your back to attack you and to lie to you and distract you. And so it's hard, it's difficult, and we can't do it alone. You need those teammates in your corner that remind you why you're doing this. You need those teammates in your corner who grab a hold of you and say, hey, don't let the enemy lie to you or distract you. Jesus has chosen us. He's picked us to do this. And I love what Jesus says. The harvest is great. What are you saying? The, the, the victory's already there. <laughs> All you gotta do is show up. Man, I, lo- I would have loved if that worked when I was growing up as an athlete playing sports, that all I had to do was show up to the field and automatically we would win? How great would that be? I would just feel, all I gotta do is show up, done. But in our life, it is that way. All we have to do is show up and God's gonna move and do some things and the harvest is great. But because of my fear or because of my inadequacy or insecurities, I decide to live in the shadows and hide and miss out on making a difference in someone's life when God's called me to be really a a team player and to help advance the kingdom of God one step at a time, one life at a time. When we begin to realize and get in perspective who God created us to be, it really affects everything else. When I realize that God's placed me in this place to make a difference, it doesn't really matter what my job is. It doesn't really matter what my relationship status is or the difficult things that I go through. Now, God definitely cares about all those things, but all of that seems a little bit smaller when I know why I'm here when I know who my enemy is, when I know what my mission is, and I know that I'm not in this alone, I'm in this together. So what I wanna give you real quick is four things of how to be a healthy team player. Everything is about four, like hacks this month, hacks to be in healthy relationships. Well, we see what Jesus says in this, in this story here, and I wanna walk through them about how we can see what Jesus commands us is how we can be a healthy team player. The first thing, four values in a healthy team player, the first one is that they are selfless. We before me. What is the first thing that Luke writes? He says, the Lord now chose. Now, when he's using the word Lord, he's essentially saying that this is not about 
me. This is not about anyone else except our Lord Jesus. So I am selfless in his sight because it's not about me. It's about the we before me. In the sense of, yes, it is very important to sometimes make healthy decisions because we don't want to be taken advantage of or we don't want to be completely emptied out to where we're not mentally healthy or emotionally healthy. But we all also have to understand that God has called us to serve and make a difference in people's lives. That God has called us to be selfless. What did Jesus say himself? I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Now see, in the grand scheme of things, when God created the world, it was six days of serving and work and then one day of Sabbath rest, which I would encourage you to find and have. You have to have that Sabbath. The danger is, is to turning when to, we start living the inverse of that, where it's more days of Sabbath me and not more days about making a difference and serving and doing what we can to live out the purpose because God has created us. I'm not telling you to do more. I'm simply just reminding you to be who you were created to be and take a deep breath once a week and rest from that and then get right back into it because that is when you live fully alive and fully purposed who you were created to be. We before me. I remember I had to learn this at a young age. I played soccer growing up and when I was in seventh grade, you know, we were on a pretty competitive team in our middle school. And I was, you know, at that time, like I said, I had gotten pretty good at sports at that time, and I just was like the worst teammate. I was the guy always yelling at people who would make a mistake. I would get really upset when people would miss their position or miss their task they were supposed to do or miss a shot. I was always yelling because I was like, oh, because I was super unhealthily competitive. It's kind of why Adrienne and I sometimes can't be on the same team because she gets mad that I'm too competitive. And so I get it. I'm just admitting I'm being open and vulnerable to you because that's what we do here at our church. The thing is that that competitiveness really started to destroy my influence as a teammate. And I remember my coach after my seventh grade year said, hey, Ryan, you're very talented and you're, you're leading the team in scoring, but you destroy the heart <laughs> and, and attitude of our team every time you yell across the field when they make a mistake. So I would challenge you to kind of get, get with yourself this off season and come back and see what you can do to be more of an encourager. That when someone makes a mistake, you're the first one to pick them up. You're the first one to bring encouragement and wisdom to them. And I remember going into my eighth grade year, playing for our middle school, that I just, I just decided I'm going to do that. Like, I'm never going to say a negative word on the field. I'm going to be the biggest encourager, the biggest champion of my team. I'm going to live selfless and we before me for this next season. Now, I didn't, didn't necessarily lead the team in scoring that year. I didn't necessarily make all the right plays. But simply because there was one person who said, you know, I'm gonna be completely selfless this season. That year we went all the way to the finals and won the championship in a shootout like sudden death thing. And the guy who scored the winning goal in our sudden death shootout was a guy who had never scored in our entire career as little middle schoolers playing soccer. But that moment was his. See, if it happened a year ago, I would have been, oh, why didn't I get that moment? But a year later it was, I'm just so thankful I get to be on this team and experience this so that someone could see that power and value that they have. You can't see that when yourself is in the mirror. But when you're looking out the window at how you can serve and make a difference, you begin to see just what you can do. Selfless. Second thing is this, we gotta have ownership. We have to realize that what we do in our life is not a have to, but a get to. What I'm telling you, you don't have to do any of these things. But it's a get to. It's a get to to be a part of God's team. It's a get to to say, you know what? This is an opportunity that I have to make a difference in someone's life. As I was reading and preparing for this message, I came across a story about a Vietnam veteran by the name of Charles Plum. This picture is going to be up on the screen. Great looking guy. Veteran from the Vietnam War. Now, Charles Plum had, he was an, a fighter pilot in Vietnam, and he had flown 74 successful missions. And he had one mission left before he was able to go home. 
But it was on his 75th mission that he was shot down by the enemy. And when his plane was shot down, he ejected from his plane, opened his parachute, and where he landed was actually behind enemy lines. And he spent the next six years in a Hanoi prison being tortured and abused, trying to get information out of him before eventually the war was ended and he was able to somehow go home and release. It was years later, he was sitting in a restaurant with his wife and a guy ran up to him and said, hey, are you Charles Plum? And he said, yeah, I am. I'd never seen this guy before. He said, you were, you were in Vietnam, right? He said, yes, I was, I, was, I was in the Air Force. And he said, you were shot down. He said, yes, I was. Well, I, I remember your name because I heard your story about how you were shot down, how you spent time in the Vietnam prison for years. And I remember I was the one who packed your parachute, who prepped all of your equipment that day. And it was in that moment Charles Plum realized that this guy he had never met was the reason he was alive, was the reason that he was able to have a wife and have a family. And it led him to become a motivational speaker speaking this question, who is packing your parachute? Because if no one's taking ownership or over and packing and protecting you, you're going to fall and no one's going to be there to catch you. What's interesting is that this guy, he could have just said, you know what, this plum guy, he's had 74 successful missions. Who needs to pack this thing? I'll just kind of do it nonchalant. I mean, he's got 74, 74, sure he's going to be fine. Or if his attitude was selfish of saying, I don't even know these people. We've been here forever. This war is going nowhere. Why do I even care about this? No, he took extreme ownership over his role and realized it doesn't matter if I never meet this person. It doesn't matter if this person's flight is successful or they get shot down. This is my job. This is what I'm called to do. And I am going to own it because if I don't do it, it might not get done. I need you to understand local city church. When we take ownership, realizing that we do on Sundays, what we do as followers of Jesus is we're packing parachutes for people that when they get shot down, we've already packed their life with encouragement and joy and understanding that they have love and hope that has a name, that name is Jesus, so that when they get shot down by life, when they get attacked and they go to pull that ripcord, those things save them and catch them because we've introduced them to Jesus. We've fought for them. We've prepared them. We've been there and made a difference in their life with encouraging words and our prayers and our worship over their life. That's what we're doing. That's why we have circles, because we're packing our parachute for the rest of the week to know that, yeah, I'm going to need this someday. When you serve, when you join the home team, when you be a part of how God's created you, that's what's happening in your life. Let me close out with the next two. Next one is unity. We have to realize that I am better together. Unity is so key. I'll do this one really quick. I got a quick quote to share with you and a quick story. See, when it comes to unity in our life, in our church, in any team that you're a part of, you are either supporting the vision or you're supporting division. You're either supporting the vision of the house, the vision of the team, the vision of what you're a part of, or you're supporting division. That's what it comes down to. Are our words lifting up and supporting the vision of where we're going, or are our words distracting and discouraging and bringing dissension among the people? A lot of people love to bring division and bring and divide each other, but that's not what we're here called to do. We are called to hold things together. Jesus was crucified in the middle of two thieves, holding it together to show that he will always be in the middle of the most difficult situations. He will always be in the middle of the division, trying to hold us together to claim unity. Listen, we're not all the same. I'm not telling you that we have to be uniformed. I'm telling you we have to be united as a church, as a capital C church. That's why I say a lot, if it's your first time today and maybe this isn't your cup of tea, come talk to me afterwards because I wanna help you find a church that is because I know church is a good thing for you. 
Community is a good thing for you. I think about this story. I uh, was watching a documentary of this a few weeks ago about the uh, Chilean mine disaster that happened over 10 years ago where 33 miners were trapped hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet underground. It took them 100 years to dig down how deep they were trapped. And what happened was that when the rescue effort started, that all these different countries had to unify together. That when they started to drill for these 33 miners, that there were drills that were coming from Canada and Australia and the US. And when the Canada drill failed and the Australian drill failed, the US continued to make, to go down as deep as they could to rescue these miners. And then when their drill bit broke and they lost it in the dirt, they had to go to Brazil and find some heavy-duty magnets that could pull that drill bit out so they could repair it and keep going. It took the efforts of the news group and the governments and the families of these miners, and even the miners themselves, right before they were rescued, had to set off a controlled explosion so so many feet under the ground in a mountain that was about to break apart on top of them so that they could find freedom and, and see their families again. You see that big capsule that was designed and was sent down one at a time. The men down there had to be unified because they had to come up one at a time through this dark hole until all third of three of them came out alive and embraced their families once again. But it took unity of people they would never meet. See, there is too much at stake for us to be divided. There is too much at stake for us to worry about things that don't need to be worried about that don't make a difference in eternity because there's people trapped in their sin. There's people trapped in their anxiety and fear and depression, and we can tell them the way out is Jesus because the last thing is that we are a healthy team because we are surrendered to a larger purpose. We are surrendered to something that is bigger than you and me. We are a part of something that is bigger than ourselves. If you want to find ways to deal with your problems and the situations that you see yourself in, it's to realize that you have a larger purpose that those problems do not compare to. It's to understand that that Jesus has breathed life into your situation. He's created you with purpose, and that is so important that you're never going to sacrifice it for situations and emotions or feelings or things that you may walk through in your life. See, Jesus said, you're going out as lambs among the wolves. He's saying, hey, I know it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. People are going to betray you and turn their back on you, and they're going to say mean things about you. But it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it to keep going. It's worth it to see what God is going to do through our lives. I always love when I watch videos of of marathons and you always see those people who like do really well and the people who would be like me, like the last upon last, like hours later running to the finish line, not running, like crawling to the finish line. And I love that there's always a group of people that hang out at the end of the finish line to say, yes, come on, you did it. This was the purpose you were running for, you're crawling towards, and that is what awaits us when we get to heaven. That heavenly host shouting and cheering for the fact that we've surrendered our life to Jesus. We've lived a selfless life, owning what God's created us to do, unified and surrendered to the larger purpose of what God wants to do in us. My encouragement to you today, the greatest thing you can say each and every morning is this is why I'm here. We have people who hold doors or teach classes or take pictures or play an instrument. When we see the life change that happens in people, they get to say, this is why I was here. I am made for this. It's why we have Home Team Sunday today and Growth Track Step 2 today, where you can see why you were created. You can see how you're wired, and you can begin to live a life that is full of purpose, that helps you grow and make a difference in someone else. 
Let me give you the two things we finished today. First thing that I want you to commit to is that we need you and you need us. Whether you're here today or watching online, we need you. We wanna reach people. We wanna help them. There's a lot of people in our city who are broken, who are living in fear and are hurting. And you may be the one who could connect to them and bring them into this place so that they can experience God in a real way. We need you, but you also need us. We're the ones that want to encourage you and lift you up and help you know you're not alone, you're not isolated. Because the second thing is this, alone we can do so little and together we can do so much. Together we can do so much. The miraculous is available to us. As the worship team begins to come out, I want to give you this last thing. It's not in your notes, but my pastor says it to me all the time and I wanted you to write it down today and it's this, that when it comes to the purpose and team that we're on, we realize that our value, why we're, why we're created, follows these simple four steps. That our purpose and our value is from God, and it's given to you, so that then through you, you can give it to others. It's from God, our purpose, our value, our identity. It's given from God, that's the source. And it's given to us. But it can't stop there, it's gotta go through us to others. And you know me, I love to give you a little example so you can grab a hold of it as you leave. The handle you can pick up when you need it this week. Thought about a sponge. It's good stuff, cleaning, right? But here's how you use a sponge. We know this. To use a sponge, you can't just go and try and wash something without first soaking it in the water. And for us, we take our life and we wanna soak ourselves in the things that God has for us. We wanna soak in his goodness and his hope. It's what we do during worship. It's what we do during the message or during our circles. We soak in community and we soak in what God's done, but eventually we get to a place where we have all we can be filled up with. We've reached like a, sta a standpoint that we can't get past because we're as filled up as much as we possibly can be. And so what God wants you to realize is that from God to you, through you to others, is that you can't just live here constantly dipping when you're already full. You have to make that investment. You have to live that generous life. You have to realize your purpose is to move from this area of comfort and to go out as a lamb sometimes among the wolves and squeeze yourself out into those people who are empty, the people who need the good news of Jesus so that you can get the experience of going back to God, getting filled up again and realizing I'm called to do this. I am called to pour myself out into the lives of others because that's what God has done for me. Some of us, we may feel, we may feel that we're at this standstill with God. Or I've been following Jesus my whole life. Here's why you're at that standstill, because you've refused to move from here to here. My encouragement to you today is that you are on a team that is surrendered to Jesus to realize he has given you everything you need, forgiveness and freedom and healing and restoration. And what do I do? I walk out that do those doors. And on Monday morning at my job, I breathe encouragement into people. I pray for my family who's going through difficult situations. I learn my neighbor's name and find out their story because that's what I'm called to do. From God to you, through you to others. If you're encouraged by that today, give me a good amen. And let's stand to our feet as we finish today.